You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. John chapter number 11 in your Bible tonight. I enjoyed that man's quartet. I got a name for you. You ready? Anybody ever heard of the Inspirations? They're the perspirations, and we're glad to. And it was a real blessing. And enjoyed that wonderful solo that our lives may glorify the Lord. And I love the old hymns of the faith you sing. I love that. And I don't know why any church or group of people would trade those wonderful, meaty songs for some song that's got one word in it and they say it 4,000 times. I don't get all of that, but I'm I'm glad to be here tonight and I praise God for it. And God bless this anniversary couple. What are you doing here? Y'all could be down at Browning's Grill having the time of your life. Uh, I got a note here, one of the ushers gave me, he says, He's got a nail appointment at 8 o'clock, so let us get out in time. So I just, one of the guys put me up to that. But I appreciate his daughter being with him tonight. I know your pain, son. I dropped my car off the other day, headed to the airport, and Julie went by that afternoon to get it. And the mechanic said, your dad was here earlier today. That made me mad. And she said, well, just thank God I don't look like your mother. And I got mad again. I said, don't talk about my mama. I'm I'm, I'm sensitive about that. But I'm glad God's people can have fun and enjoy the Lord. You say, I don't see anything to laugh about. Go home, look in the mirror, you'll have a blast. Oh, Billy Kelly was preaching one night and got to telling funny stories. I thought it was funny, and everybody else thought it was funny, but one lady, she got mad, and the more we laughed, the madder she got. So after church, she came up to Brother Billy, she said, bless God, I don't see nothing funny. He said, when I look at you, I don't either. (laughs) Then she said, if you was my husband, I'd feed you poison. He said, if I was married to you, I'd eat it. Oh, my. You love the Lord tonight, say amen. It's been good to have my mom and one of my sisters and one of my adopted sisters, and we're glad to have them tonight. One of them just got out of drug rehab. June, we're glad you made it here tonight, honey. God bless you. It's a wonder every preacher's kid in America ain't on Zantac or Prozac, but I appreciate the Lord. God is good, and... uh, We're on the little end of something big. And I love the text we're going to read from tonight. John 11, for the sake of time, I won't read the entire chapter, but I'm going to read just a few verses to give you the gist of where we're going to launch out tonight. John 11, and let's break in the text in verse 19. John 11, verse 19, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she was heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But look in verse 22 how fast her faith is restored. But I know that even now, say that with me tonight, even now. Aren't you glad God's alive now? God is on the throne now. God can do something now. And I know that even now, Whatsoever that will ask of God, God will give it thee. Aren't you glad tonight that God met the need 
of this sister by the name of Martha. But there's someone else in the text that needs a touch, that needs a blessing, and it's her sister Mary. And I want you to come down to verse 32 and see how the Lord dealt with her. Then when Mary was come to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. I'm glad God met the need of Martha. And I'm glad God met the need of Mary. Well, there's somebody else in this text that needs a miracle, that needs a blessing, and it's their brother by the name of Lazarus. Notice how the Lord deals with him in verse number 43. And when he had thus spoken with a loud voice, he cried, Lazarus, come forth. And I love verse 44. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. I'm glad God met the need of Martha. I'm glad God met the need of Mary. And I'm glad that God met the need of Lazarus. And by the way tonight, when the Lord meets needs, all are included and none are excluded. Tonight when God sets the table, everybody has a place and everybody has an opportunity. But now there's one more group of people in this text that needs a miracle. And it's in verse 45, those unbelieving Jews. And watch how the Lord deals with them. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, say this with me tonight, believed on him. And in my opinion tonight, they got the greatest of all miracles. You say, what is that? They got born again. They got saved. They received Christ and they believed on the Lord because he met the need of Mary, he met the need of Martha, and he met the need of Lazarus, and he met the need of these unbelieving Jews. And can I tell you tonight, it is no secret what God can do for what he's done for others, he can do for you. I'm glad he is the need meeting God. I love the way Jesus is presented in the Gospel of John. And by the time you get to the end of the book, this is what you know. There are no boundaries, borders, or limits to what he can do. By the time you get to the end of John, God can do anything. And I'm glad tonight there's not a mountain that he cannot move. I'm glad there's a burden that he cannot carry. I'm glad there's a problem that he cannot solve. I'm glad tonight whatever the need is, it is not bigger than God. And it seems like in the Gospel of John, no matter where he's at, his grace is greater. His power is greater. And just when you think he's maxed out his ability, just when you think there is nothing else he can do, he will do exceeding and abundant and above all that we ask or think. Why? Who else can speak healing in one city and it takes place in another city? Who else can take the five loaves and the fishes and feed the 5,000? Like last evening, who else walks on the water and says peace in the time of trouble? Who else can take the water and turn it into wine? 
Who else can take the blind man and make him see? Who else can touch the leprous and make him whole? Who else waters the thirsty, feeds the hungry, befriends the lonely, saves the lost? And in our text, even raises the dead. Surely in this passage, they have found a need that's too big for him. Surely in this passage, they finally reached a place where his power is maxed out to the limit. But Shazam, what does he do? Exceeding, abundant above all that we ask. You remember in that first miracle when Jesus turned the water into wine, the Holy Spirit interjected this little statement, and this was the beginning of miracles. And this was the beginning of miracles. It's as though the Holy Spirit is saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. Just when you think he has done exceeding, he'll go beyond it. Just when you think he's done abundant, he'll go beyond it. Just when you think he has saved the worst sinner, he'll save another one. Just when you think he's still the greatest storm, he'll still another one. And just when you think he has solved the greatest problem, he will solve another one. Because there are no boundaries or borders or limits to the power of God. Come to our text tonight. He accomplishes miracles in this passage with one phrase, I am the resurrection and the life. Oh, he does more than supply needs. He does more than cure diseases. He makes dead things live again. Not just dead things, but somebody that's been dead for four days. Somebody that is so dead, they're already externally embalmed with grave clothes. Somebody that is so dead, they're sealed in the tomb. And only in the words of a big sister would say this about a brother. He is stinking dead. Jesus, he's not just dead, but he is stinking dead. I'm mean, going to tell you, you may feel like your marriage your family, your life, your emotional system, whatever it is, may be dead, four days dead, stinking dead. Surprise, surprise, surprise. He is the resurrection and the life, and he makes dead things live again. And for the next few moments, I want you to come to this text. And I want to preach on the three resurrections of John 11. The three resurrections of John 11. You say, Brother Joe, I didn't think there's but one. Oh, no. There are three resurrections in this chapter. And they prove to you and I that there is nothing too hard for God. Resurrection number one, the obvious one. I call it the resurrection of life for the dead. It's the one where Jesus raises Lazarus physically from the dead. I was reading the other day where this commentator said that he didn't believe in life after death. He said, I don't believe that Lazarus was really dead. I believe he was weak. I believe he dehydrated I believe he passed out, but in the coolness of that tomb, he was aroused back to life. If you believe that, you're crippled too high for crutches. The Bible said he was dead, four days dead, sealed in a tomb dead, stinking dead. But Jesus goes to the mouth of that grave and calls him by name, Lazarus, come forth. I asked my dad one time, I said, why did he say specifically Lazarus? He said, son, if he'd have just said come forth, 
Every dead person in the world would have walked out of those graves. And one day, he's going to do that. Think about this. He shouted at the grave of Lazarus, and one man got up. He shouted at Calvary, and many of the saints got up. But ladies and gentlemen, when he shouts the next time, not one, not two, not a few, not many, but every child of God that pillared their dying head on the finished work of the cross of Calvary is coming out of that grave. What happened to Lazarus is the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You remember when Job was going through the lowest place of his life, he looked up, he said, God, I've got one question. If a man die, shall he live again? God, that's the only question I got. If a man die, shall he live again? And that question seemingly goes unanswered throughout the rest of the Old Testaments, the Psalms, the major, the minor prophets, the 400 years of silence, Matthew, Mark. Oh, but when you come to Brother John, Jesus said, Job, I'm gonna answer your question. If a man die, shall he live again? The answer is yes. A thousand times yes, for I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Aren't you glad the grave is not the end for the Christian? The cemetery is not the end for the Christian. The undertaker is not the end of the Christian because one day the upper taker is gonna come and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we will see our loved ones again. I like what Paul told the church at Thessalonica in chapter number four, but I will not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even as him also would sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe the next thing on God's prophetic time clock is the rolling back of the clouds, the sounding of the trumpet and Jesus Christ coming in power and glory and every cemetery it's gonna turn into resurrection ground and we will see our loved ones again. That is our hope. That's an anchor of the soul. I'm glad Jesus is coming and the dead in Christ shall live again. The last time a lot of us saw our loved ones, they were laying in a little box and we took them out to a piece of ground and we buried them and when we buried them, we buried some of us. And we died inside with them. And our memories and the things that we love. But I'm glad we walked away with this one hope springing in our heart. This is not the end. I'm glad the Bible said that the dead in Christ shall live again. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. I'm glad one day the dead will live again. Jesus said, because I live, ye too shall live also. And just as sure as he raised Lazarus from the dead, and just as sure as he got up from the dead by his own power, the dead in Christ shall live again. Ain't no grave gonna hold our body down. We have hope, we have assurance that death is swallowed up in the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of my best friends in Atlanta is also my neighbor. 
He also comes to our church and uh, he's the local funeral home director. I pick at him all the time about there being no funeral directors in heaven. He said, preacher, I'm saved. I said, you'll be out of business when you get there. He called me one day and said, let's go to lunch. So I went by to pick him up. He said, come back to the selection room. I don't like to go back to that selection room. You said, well, Brother Joe, it's just a bunch of empty caskets. I know that, but every one of them's got their tongue out going, come on, you're next. He walked over there to this one casket. He said, preacher, you gotta look at this one. This is a Batesful. This is the best we got, a brand new style. I just wanna tell you, you need to get alive if a casket cranks your truck that bad. He said, you don't understand. He said, this one right here is guaranteed not to leak for 50 years. I said, Horace Wayne, who's gonna know the difference? Oh, preacher, he said, I'll lay your carcass in that thing. I'll reach in my pocket. I'll get that key and I'll turn her down and them clamps are shut and them seals are come together. No air, no noise, no moisture, no water. Nothing is gonna penetrate that seal. I said, Horace Board, you listen to me. You may put my carcass in one of them things. You may get your little key out of your pocket and you may squeeze her down real tight. But when Jesus steps out on that cloud and Gabriel blows that trumpet, something's gonna go through that seal, the voice of my Savior, and I'm a coming out of that thing. Aren't you glad we're not going to hell? We're not going to the tribulation period. Heaven is our home, and the dead in Christ shall live again. That's the resurrection of life for the dead. And it is a picture of what God has in store for you and I. Resurrection number one. Resurrection number two. There's more than a dead body in Bethany. There's more than a dead brother in Bethany. You say, what else has died? Well, in the heart of Martha and Mary, their courage, their trust, their hope, had withered and died. By the way, tonight, you know who Martha and Mary are? Let me tell you this. They're not enemies to Jesus. They're friends. They're not at odds with Jesus. They're followers. They've worked for Jesus. They've worshiped Jesus. They've cooked him meals. He has spent time in their home. They love Jesus and Jesus loves them. And not only do they know Jesus loves them, not only does Jesus know they love them, but evidently, according to the text, the whole village of Bethany knows that Jesus loves them and they love Jesus. But I'm telling you in their heart, something has withered and died. You say, what makes you say that? Well, let me ask you this. What would cause these two sisters who love Jesus, who follow Jesus, who serve Jesus, to say to his face, not behind his back, but say to him, to his face, both of them, if you, Jesus, would have been here, our brother would not have died. What would give them the audacity to say that to the Lord Jesus Christ? You know what they're saying? Jesus, this is your fault. Jesus, if you would have been where you were supposed to be, if you could have come when we asked you, this would not have happened. Brother, their courage, their hope had died. You see, Lazarus got sick. And they did the only thing they know to do. They got somebody to go get Jesus. Go get him and tell him to come. We need him. Our brother is sick unto death. Go tell Jesus we need him. We need him bad. We need him now. But if you know the story, he didn't come the first day. If you know the story, he didn't come the second day. If you know the story, he didn't come the third day. And can you just imagine if the devil back then 
was like he is tonight, can you imagine all of the stuff, all of the slander, all of the seeds of doubt and fear he must have sowed in their heart and in their mind? Something had to happen to them for them to say to the face of Jesus, this is your fault. And if you would have been here, this would not have happened to us. You say, what do you think the devil may have said to them? I don't know, but probably something like this. You love Jesus, but does he love you? You serve Jesus, but does he serve you? You were there for Jesus, but he's not there for you. You cooked him meals. You made him a bed to sleep in. You gave him entrance into your home. You've loved him. You've served him. You've did your best for him. And when you really needed him, he let you down. He didn't come. He didn't live up to what he said he would do. He probably said something like this to them. All you've done for Jesus is in vain. All them meals you cooked, all those lives you served, it was in vain. It was in vain. You needed him. He didn't come. You trusted. He didn't come. You called on him. He didn't come. You begged him. He didn't come. You asked him to come. He didn't come. Look, he must not care. You must not mean anything to him. He had sowed something in their heart that those two women said to the face of Jesus, this is your fault. If you'd have been here, this would have never happened. But I want to say to Martha and I want to say to Mary, listen, he's not here yet. He's not answered yet. He's not on the scene yet. But you remember this. When you need him, he'll be there. And he'll not be late. And he'll not be a dollar short. There may be somebody in this room tonight. And the devil said to you, while if God loved you, if you made anything to God, this would not have happened. You would not have got sick. Your kids wouldn't have broke your heart. Your marriage wouldn't have fell apart. This wouldn't have happened. That wouldn't have happened. While if you really meant something to God, he wouldn't allow this to happen. You prayed, you hoped, you trusted, you fasted, you held on with all of your might and seemingly it happened anyway and heaven seems silent and God feels like he's a million miles away but I've come to tell you don't give up now and don't get bitter now and don't get out of church now. He knows your pain. He has heard your problem. He has seen your affliction and he told me to tell you Pray one more time. Helps on the way. Trust one more time. Helps on the way. Shout by faith one more time. Helps on the way. Go to church one more time. Help is on the way. Can I quote you a scripture? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God doesn't use my watch. God doesn't use my calendar. God doesn't use my iPad. He don't read the horoscope. He don't call dear Abby or call Rush Limbaugh. You know what he does? He operates in his sovereignty and in his providence. He loves you. He cares for you. He's got your best interest in mind and God will do anything but fail you and I. I'm about to fool around and enjoy my own preaching right there. And faith and courage and hope had died in their heart. I can hear them. How can we worship him again? How can we pray again? How can we hope again? It looks like it's all in vain. And then thank God the sun comes up on day number four, and word gets through that village, he's a coming, he's a coming, he's a coming. And as soon as Martha heard that, she ran out there to Jesus, got it out of her heart and said, if you'd have been here, it wouldn't have happened. But I know that even now it's not too late and you can do something in my life. 
One glimpse of Jesus restored her faith. One visit from Jesus restored her faith. One touch of the hand of compassion restored her faith. You say, what has that got to do with me? He's coming. He's on the way. And he wanted me to tell you, even now, it's not too late. Oh, you say, preacher, it's too late for my marriage. It's too late for my children. It's too late for America. No, 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 no. God's on time. He's alive tonight. He's on the throne tonight. Can I lift him up a minute? He's the potter who fixes the clay. He's the sheep that seeks the shepherd. He's the savior that saves the lost. He's the king that sits upon his throne. He's the friend that sticketh closer than the brother. He's a bread maker, a wave walker, a nerve comma, a peace bringer, a devil defeater, and a grave robber. Hallelujah. I mean, I tell you, it's not too late. It does pay to serve God. It does pay to pay your tithes. It does pay to be a soul winner. It does pay to live for God. It still pays to serve God. The devil's not just a liar, but he's the father of all liars. And just like that, Martha, her faith is restored. Oh, but Mary. Let me ask you this tonight. How many parents have we got? You're a parent. But you have more than one child. You've got to agree with me. They're different. One of the mysteries of the ages, how two knotheads can live in the same house have the same mama, have the same daddy, eat the same food, go to the same church, worlds apart. You can have one as smart as a tack. They don't even have to study, automatically, inherent, on a roll. Well, you can have another, dumber than a box of rocks. Quit looking around. <laughs> you can have one, and all you got to do is go. <clears throat> and brother, you can have another one. You can wail, and you can frail. You can hang them over the abyss. And they'll say, why? Boy, I used to love it when them two of mine would say, why? because that gave me an opportunity to say something that I love saying cause I said so. Someone said, Brother Joe, do you miss your children? Yes, I miss them bad because I don't have anybody to say that to now. You say, well, you and Julie still live together. I know, she don't care <laughs> if I said so. All you fellas that married them old-fashioned, submissive women that cooks biscuits, God bless you. <laughs> Pray for the rest of us. Your boy Joe Moat said, Brother Joe, I'm looking for a wife that cooks biscuits, cooks from scratch, that just does what I tell her, and she don't talk back. I said, Joseph, you're too young to find a wife like that because women like that are like parking spaces. They're taken or handicapped. Can I get an amen on Bowling Road tonight? I feel conviction somewhere in this section. And them guys that are laughing, they'll be back tomorrow night with one eye shut and their arm is hey man, Brother Joe, say that one more time. They're different. Kids are different. Martha, all she needed was one glimpse of Jesus. Bam, she's restored. 
but Mary. Pastor Colbernack, she is so hurt. She is so distraught. She is so vexed. She won't even go out there and talk to Jesus. She's sitting in the house. Let me ask you this tonight. If Jesus Christ came from heaven, paid you a physical visit, and walked up to your door, wouldn't you have the common decency to go out there and welcome him or talk to him? But Mary is so bitter. Mary is so wounded and deeply hurt. She's sitting in the house. Martha's out there getting right. Martha's out there getting her joy back, getting her song back. She's out there getting her faith restored. But Mary is so hurt and broken. She's balled it up inside. She's sitting at home won't go to church, won't talk to her family, won't talk to the preacher, won't talk to anybody. She's cocooned herself in misery and pain and sorrow and disappointment. And you hear me tonight, you hear me? I know the valley's real, and I know disappointments are real, and I know setbacks are real. My family's been going through three and a half years of setback nearly every single day. You take one foot forward, you go back seven, and I know heartaches are real. I know the devil's mean, and life can be cruel, but I refuse to cocoon myself in bitterness and defeat and disappointment and anger and bitterness and Mary is so messed up, man. She won't even walk out there and speak to her blessed Lord. But as Paul Harvey says, page two, here, I believe some of that cockleberry stuff you gave me this morning, brother, is kicking in. Oh, page number two. But when she give up on Jesus, Jesus didn't give up on her. Somebody help me right there. When she give up on Jesus, he didn't give up on her. When she wouldn't go out there and talk to him, Jesus sent her a personal invitation. He said, Martha, you go tell Mary, the master's come and I'm calling for her. You go tell her, the master's come, and he called it for thee. Lord, have mercy. Martha takes off. She runs in that house. She says, Mary. Mary, he's here. He's here, baby girl. The master, he's here. And he's not asking about John. He's not asking about Thomas. He's not even asking about Lazarus. He's not even asking about me. But you're on his heart. You're on his mind. And he's asking for you. And he's concerned about you. And he knows your problem. And he feels your pain. He's coming for you. Son, she couldn't take it. About that time, some of the cork flies off. That bitterness and that disappointment and that hurt falls away and son she runs out there slides in at the feet of Jesus and has her an old fashioned crying spell she goes to the feet of Jesus and starts to weep all of that that's been bottled in for four long days she's pulled a cap off and she's pouring it out all that hurt, all that disappointment, all of that anger and bitterness that she has held on for four days in a little solitary place where it looks like she's gonna die. She goes at the feet of Jesus, takes the cork off of the bottle and lets her fly. She just starts weeping at the feet of Jesus. And by the way, tears are language. And God understands. Don't you ever let somebody tell you that tears are a sign of weakness. Tears are not a sign of weakness. It's a release. It's a release valve that God gave you when he created you. And I want to tell you, you may think your tears flow in some Kleenex 
flush down some sewer system. Oh no, standing in the shadows of your weeping place is a loving Savior that catches every one of your tears and he bottles them up because one day in Revelation chapter number 21, and God shall wipe away all the tears from our eyes. She's at the feet of Jesus. She's pouring out her heart. She's pouring out her complaint and she's weeping at his feet. But when I saw this, I like to knock the back end of my choir robe out. While she's at the feet of Jesus, weeping, she hears something. And about that time, she feels something. And she looks down and she sees something. And when she looks up, not only is she a crying, but the scripture said, now Jesus is crying. Not only is she a weeping, but the Savior's weeping. And you know what happens in this text? I'm about to run. Her tears got to mingling with his tears. And his tears got to mingling with her tears. And I've just come to tell somebody tonight in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, you got a broken heart, fall at the feet of Jesus, weep and cry and listen real close. Standing somewhere in the shadows is a sympathizing Savior who stepped into your suffering, who stepped into your world. He's weeping with you. He's crying with you. He's shedding tears with you. And I want to tell you, when your tears touch the master's tears. It ain't long honey to Lazarus gets up and starts walking around again because when Lazarus walked out of that grave, pastor, more than a dead body walks out of that grave, you know what walks out? Faith walks out of their heart again. Hope is back. Joy is back. Trust is back. He resurrected their hope. He resurrected their trust. He resurrected their confidence. And I want to say there may be something in your world, something in your heart that's dead and you're about to have a funeral. It ain't funeral time, it's resurrection time because joy can live again, trust can live again, faith can live again. He's a God that makes dead things come back to life. But old preacher, I believe my joy, my excitement, it's withered and died through disappointment. Standing beside a resurrection ground is your Savior. He can make your joy live again. Make your life live again. Make your heart live again. Resurrection number one, the resurrection of life for the dead. Resurrection number two, the resurrection of faith and courage for the depressed. But resurrection number three, there's more than a dead body in Bethany. There's more than two sisters with a heart broken. According to our text, there is a greater need in Bethany. You say, what could be a greater need than somebody that's dead? What could be a greater need than two sisters whose hearts have been crushed? I'll tell you what's worse. Those unbelieving Jews that are lost without God and they're on their way to a devil's hell. But where there's a greater need, there's a greater miracle. How many believe it's a miracle that Lazarus got brought up from four days dead? I believe it's a miracle for those two sisters to get their joy back and their faith back and their hope back. But the greatest of all miracles in chapter number 11, it ain't Lazarus, brother. And it's not Martha and Mary, but the greatest of all miracles is when those lost on their way to hell, unbelieving Jews saw the power of Jesus, saw the grace of Jesus, saw the love of Jesus, and said, 
I want a Savior like that. I want a Lord like that. I want a God like that. And they got born again. They got saved. They got regenerated. They became believers. And ladies and gentlemen, old time, Holy Ghost, Mount Calvary, salvation is the greatest of all miracles. You know what God did? The resurrection of life for the dead. The resurrection of hope and courage for the distressed. But here's the resurrection of salvation and regeneration and believing faith for the depraved. It's wonderful that Lazarus lives, but guess what? He died again. It's wonderful that Martha and Mary got their hope back, but they had to bury Lazarus another time. Oh, but them unbelieving Jews, they got saved and born again. They'll never go to hell. They'll never go to hell. They'll never go to hell. I was witnessing this fellow a while back, and he told me, he said, won't you just go to, and I said, you know what, sir? I can't. I can do a lot of things. I can go a lot of places. I can go to California. I can go to Florida. I can go to Michigan. I may even get it with old Mark Zukuk and go to the moon someday. But I can't go to hell. I've been washed in the blood, sealed by the Holy Spirit under the day of redemption. And listen to me tonight. If everything, I'm one of the darkest days in my pastorate had a young man in our church in his early 30s, a fireman, got choked on a sandwich, and three days later they diagnosed him with stage three esophagus cancer. And a year and one month after that, we buried him. One of the hardest things I ever did as a pastor is when his wife, Mandy, called me. She said, he's about to cross. Can you get here? And me and Brother Tom, assistant, we got there as soon as we could. And she said, Brother Joe, I want you to help me. And I picked up that little five-year-old girl. And I picked up that little 11-month-old girl and laid them across his chest as they patted him on the cheeks and said, Bye, Daddy. Bye, Daddy. I will never forget what that little five-year-old girl prayed, Abigail. She said, Daddy, you go see Jesus. Me and Mama and Sissy will meet you on the other side. I love you, Daddy. Kissed him on the cheek and he died. Boy, I ripped my heart out. I'm a pastor, I can't help it. That ripped my heart out. And I'm walking back to my car and I hear something and I look and there stands that wife shaking all over. She said, pray, man of God. Pray, man of God, pray. I said, Mandy, I'm praying for Jim. She said, no, don't pray for Jim. He's gonna be okay. I said, Mandy, don't get in denial. He's not, she said, no, 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 no. He's gonna be okay. She said, he's saved. She said, uh, he's gonna be in heaven in a few minutes. And she said, and by the way, preacher, in heaven, cancer doesn't go in remission. Somebody needs to write a song on that. Cancer don't go in remission. It's gone. She said, pray for me. Pray for me. I said, Mandy, what you want me to pray about, honey, for you? In 39 years, I've never had anybody say this to me. She said, preacher, I've been in church my whole life. And I've seen people say and do wicked things bad things in times like this. And she said, I got a lot of lost loved ones that's watching me. And she said, I want you to pray that I won't fail the Lord. Well, she said, I want you to pray that I won't say anything or do anything that would cause some lost sinner to go to hell. I want them to see the grace of God in my life. Well, the other day the choir came out to sing. Mandy came out to do her little solo part. 
And they got to singing that Caliphate Rolling song, Safe Thus Far. Mandy takes the lead on that verse and she says, I've sailed through many waters rough and deep, but someone has sailed along with me. You know what I did about three Saturdays ago? That little girl that was five, I married her off to a fine young man at our church. Mandy's never missed Sunday morning. She don't miss Sunday night. She don't miss Wednesday night. She loves the Lord. She's still got her joy. She's still got her song. And we're seeing people blessed years to go. I'm sorry of all that pain and loss. The hurt of the valley, it's real. Loss is real. Pain is real. Suffering is real. Disappointment is real. But brother just come to tell you grace is real and mercy is real and the blood is real and the Bible's real and God is real and he's the God that makes dead things live again. Boy, I can't sing anymore. My singing career was over before I got a gold label. I don't think it's funny, but you go ahead. But if I could sing a little bit, I'd want to sing a little bit right here. Are you weary? Are you heavy hearted? <laughs> Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. He is a friend that's well known. You have no other such a friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.